This summer, as we're just about ready to take our big step foot into our new building, it's just about ready to be fully completed, and we're super excited about that. Uh, it's A lot of work has gone into that, a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, um, a lot of giving. We want to thank you so much for your tremendous giving to see this project come to fruition. But friends, it's far more than a building. We are building to build lives. The church isn't a building, the church is the people. This is merely a facility that facilitates the ministries that God has entrusted to us, namely for the gospel to go forth and for people to grow deep and mature in Christ. And so this summer, we're talking about the vision that God has for us, a vision for his people to come to the fullness of maturity in Christ. So as we've been kind of looking at the book of James, we uh, looked at the purpose of trials uh, last week. We looked at temptation and how you face it and what, how do you respond when temptation calls. But we are going to look at this final section in James chapter 1. That if you do not put this into play, uh, friends, maturity will never be a reality. It won't be a reality for you as an individual, and it most certainly won't be for our church. Because we must incorporate God's word into our lives. There is a right way and a wrong way to do this. And maturity can't happen, spiritual maturity can't happen, apart from the proper intake of God's Word. So remember just last week, we saw this in chapter 1, verse 18, James, the seasoned pastor, identified that we are a kind of first fruits among his creatures. We are new creations. People who have placed their faith and trust in Christ are actually united with him. They literally have his spirit residing in them, and that's what makes us new. We've been united with Christ, the resurrected one. Our sins are forgiven, our eternity is secure, and God fully intends to live out the life of Christ through his people. In fact, it goes so far to say as Christ is the head, and the church, the people, are his body. So, what James is going to do here as he concludes chapter 1 is he's going to give a warning. Uh, he's going to give a warning on how not to go about using God's word. Now, warnings against misuse kind of occur on a regular basis when we buy products, for instance. So, like, you open up this package, something you purchased, and, and it generally has, like, a few warnings. And some of those warnings are helpful, some are, like, that's pretty obvious, and some of them are, like, totally ridiculous. You gotta, like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, why would you have that? And I'll tell you why, because someone along the line, someone actually did this, and then there was a lawsuit involved, so they put these warnings. Let me give you some utterly ridiculous, actual, real-life warning labels. For instance, on the side of a baby stroller box, there is this warning, remove child before folding. Like, right, that's, that makes sense, but somebody obviously didn't. There is a, on a cardboard sunshield that you put in your windshield, there was this warning, don't drive with sunshield in place. Like, okay, got it, right? This one, I, I still can't believe, but on a toilet bowl cleaning brush, it said not for oral use. Like, That'd be a physical impossibility of who's thinking like that, but someone had, and had put that warning in there. On, a, on the package of a rain gauge, there was this comment, suitable for outdoor use. Like, duh, but somebody obviously didn't understand that. Must have called and complained, this product isn't working. Where do you have it? I got it in my living room. There's your problem. This one here was on a manual for a chainsaw. This is, this is a warning. It said this, do not attempt to stop the blade with your hand. Okay? That is a one-time only experience. Please don't do that. 
And then, like, this one was just ridiculous, but it actually says in the Adam copy in this sticker right here. You see it. It says, do not iron while wearing shirt. Like, what was somebody thinking? Like, I got a meeting, like, oh, I got to fix this. You take an iron and frame yourself right there. But somebody did these things, so they had to put these warnings. And what happened is something went terribly wrong because the product was being misused in just rather ridiculous ways, and so they had to put this warning. James issues a warning when it comes to God's word. There is a right way and a wrong way for it to be incorporated. So what does it really look like? How does God use his word to develop maturity in our lives? Well, that's what we're going to take a look at today. Friends, this is absolutely critical that you know how to do this and that you actually do it. Because apart from what we're about to talk about now, uh, spiritual maturity never will be a reality. It's simple and it's essential. God uses his word to bring maturity in our lives when we, first of all, are ready to listen. Let's take a look at it. Verse 19, chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So he's saying, take note, this is what needs to take place, you need to be quick to hear. Uh, to be quick to hear had the idea of not only that you actually heard the message, or heard the word, but you have a heart that wants to heed it or obey it. And so you need to be quick to hear. Listen with the idea that you're going to apply this to your life. And this is the problem. It seems like most Christians are taking God's word and treating it like background noise, like the radio on soft in your car. Yeah, it's kind of on, but you're not even paying attention to it. Friends, God's word is meant to be heard and heeded. It's interesting, there was a U.S. Army officer who contrasted two different classes at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And uh, it was an artillery training school. And he noted that in 1958 and 60, that particular class, they had trouble keeping people even awake during artillery instruction. That, he said, was in complete contrast to the 1965-67 class, which was highly attentive and was taking copious notes. Anybody happen to guess why? Really? American history? You don't know what's going on? Vietnam War. The people they were training gave the exact same lecture. They understood in six weeks, we're in Vietnam. This isn't just theory. This isn't just a class. This is a matter of life and death. And so that's what we want to do. The problem is most Christians aren't quick to hear. we got to take it or leave it. We got, we'll, we'll find churches that will just tell us what they want to hear, what we want to hear. We are getting away from God's word. We're getting away from it in our personal lives. We're getting away in our churches. And friends, there is no spiritual maturity apart from God's word. How do, you, how do you see maturity take place in your life? You've got to be ready to listen. And he also says, not only be quick to hear, but slow to speak. Meaning that there is a humility about your life. That you're not just always running off at the mouth and talking all the time, but that you actually slow down long enough to listen, and especially to listen to God as he speaks through his word. You may have noticed this. But uh, just in case we have this illustrated here, uh, you have one mouth and two ears. And I think that's by divine design. We're probably going to listen twice as much as we speak. And we, so what he's saying is you want to be attentive. You want to be quick to hear. 
slow to speak. Uh, Socrates, the famous Greek philosopher, uh, had a student that came for his interview to find out if he was going to be a part of his class. And uh, this student wanted to impress Socrates and just started talking. Blah, 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 and during the interview, thinking like you're going to impress him. And he couldn't get a word edgewise. Finally, when the kid stopped to breathe, Socrates jumped in and said this. I'm going to have to charge you a double fee, young man. And the kid's like, what? Why that? He said this. I will have to teach you two sciences. First, how to hold your tongue, and then how to use it. And that's what God wants. He wants us to stop talking so much and actually start listening. And then notice what else he says. You also have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Anger in our hearts brings deafness to our ears. So if you find yourself cultivating, just allowing bitterness to brew, and you're just kind of mad and angry all the time, what it does is it impedes your ability to really hear from God and His Word. You need to have a heart that he's going to explain that is humility, a heart of humility that is teachable. And so he goes on to say in verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word of Lamed, which is able to save your soul. So he said, literally strip it off. Like putting aside would be the word they use of stripping off like dirty garments. So if you go spelunking and you crawl out of this cave and you're full of mud on your clothes, what do you do? You're going to have to strip those off and put clean ones on, right? Well, that's the idea. Whatever it is, whatever sinful attitude, things that you're done that, doing that are not in keeping with God's holiness, in order to hear God, holiness must be pursued. The dirty must be stripped off. And so he said, putting aside all filthiness. It could, this is a word used for both dirty garments, but also moral vice. It's also interesting, in the Greek, they would use the same word for earwax. And we decided not to put a visual on that from PowerPoint, just not to gross you out. But you get the idea. You got this junk in your ears because you can't, and you can't hear. It's preventing you from truly hearing says, these things, sin, that some of the things that you're doing, you're saying, it, it needs to be stripped away so that you're in a position to hear because we need to hear the word that is implanted. And so you strip away all filthiness and all wickedness so that we're going to be able to hear the word. And so this, this hearing is absolutely essential, but in order for that to take place, We've got to have a cleansing. That's why there's so much emphasis put on stripping away the old, experiencing the forgiveness of Christ. Like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You agree with God. Don't rationalize. Don't ignore. Just say, God, this attitude, this behavior, things coming out of my mouth, it's not keeping me their holiness, and I, I confess it. And I thank you that I'm eternally cleansed because of Jesus. Or like he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, when he talks about the beauty of the new covenant, of what it means to be in Christ. He says, let us draw near with a sincere heart, Hebrews 10, 22, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hearts, 
sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies literally washed. How cool is that? Friends, that's the gospel. You and I, we have made a wretch of our life. We are sinners by nature, and it's evident in our behavior. And what God offers us in Christ when we trust in him is forgiveness, cleansing, evil conscience, cleansed, even your bodies washed with pure water. Why? For you're now going to be a vessel fit for God's honorable use. And, that, and the reason that God wants us to keep going back to the gospel and back to this forgiveness and what it means to be united with Christ is because this is the position in which we can hear. Hear God from his word. Where we are able to hear in humility this word that is implanted. You see that's what he says? In humility, have the idea that you are teachable. You want to learn. You're not a know-it-all. You actually care. You understand, well, I live in a real world with real dangers. My heart has dangerous aspects to it. I need God and I need his word. You receive in humility the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. And what he's doing, he's taking imagery given to us by Jesus. Remember the parable of the sower? And the seed is the word of God. And it goes on different soils. Remember? Some like it just bounces off the hard path. That's true today. Like the word is going out right now. And I would imagine, group this side, there's some of you that are totally tuned out. You're already, you're like in next week. You're probably working out this little business plan or, or how you're going to handle this issue with your kid. And the seed just, boop, gone. But in actuality, the word of God is meant to be like a seed that gets implanted into a heart that says, God, teach me from your word. And what happens is that seed comes to life. It sprouts and it bears fruit. And that's what he's saying here. It's the word of God. And it actually is able to save your soul that is implanted. And the human heart is like a garden. Okay? Here's gardening 101. Remove the weeds. Plant the seeds. How about that? That's all there's to it. So what you do, you plant those seeds, the seeds grow. If you see weeds that are growing up there, you don't like, ooh, well, I see it's really competing with my plant, and it's killing it. No, you take the weeds out, and so it is with sin. You address the sin. God, help me with this issue. Forgive me, and give me strength, because I want to hear from you, and I want to grow. I want to bear fruit. And that's what he says. Let the word do its work. And it's able to, like he says, save your soul. God's word not only brings us the message of God, the gospel, freedom, grace, forgiveness, transformation through Christ, God's word also guides us in that pursuit. It literally makes us whole. And that's kind of what the idea behind save is. It's certainly rescue, but it's also the whole restoration of fullness of life. Remember um, Jesus, when he encountered that woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, and she believes in Christ. And he told her, your faith has made you well. But in the Greek, it literally reads, your faith has saved you. It's made you whole. That's what the word of God does. It makes us whole in every respect. It brings about maturity. It is able to make us complete in every respect. It's like Isaiah said, but to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. It's like, God, you're holy and your word is precious and I want to learn from you. So do you want to you wanna grow to maturity? Really simple. Super simple. Essential. You want to be ready to listen. And before we go on further, 
Are you? Does your life reflect a readiness to listen to God? Does your Bible get open during the week? Or is it just sit in the back seat of your car and you grab it so you're ready for church on Sunday? Um, is there a pattern where you have maybe just five minutes where you're in God's Word? And I'll tell you something else. There is kind of like this misconception that if all it is, I just got to show up at church and they'll read the Bible and some guy will talk about it and that's good. Like attendance makes it. No, no. You've got to have a readiness to hear, to heed, to respond. And that's what James is going to go on to say. You see, if you and I are going to experience the maturity that God is seeking to develop in our life, we've got to be ready to listen and eager to respond. Look at verse 22. He says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove yourselves as those who actually put the word into play. You respond to truth. The idea of deluding has the idea of like you're deceived. In mathematics, it was used to come to a, a miscalculation, the wrong answer. You did something wrong. God's word is intended to have an effect upon our life. And that's what Jesus said. Remember uh, several weeks ago when we talked about the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gave that contracting seminar? He said, really, there's only two kind of builders in life. Those who are coming to me, hearing my words and acting upon them, and those who hear but could care less, and they don't respond. Those who could care less kind of build their house on the sand. It goes up quick, looks nice, doesn't fare well in the storm because it's not built like the other guy who is building their life on me and my word. And they're going down to the rock. And yeah, it's going to take some spade work. And you're going to have to apply yourself. It's going to require a little bit of discipline. Generally, to build a building, it does. But they're building their life on me. And when those storms come, that house stands. Why? Because they're standing on me. That's what James is saying. What you want to do is don't delude yourself. You want to be those who prove yourself to be doers of the world. Don't get the idea that I just show up for church or I just hear some sort of message that's all there is to it. No, God wants us to respond. So in order to make the image absolutely clear, James gives the warning. The warning, what not to do. Just like you don't put your hand in the chainsaw or brush your teeth with a toilet roll cleaner thing. No, don't do that. Let me show you, let James show you, let God show you what not to do. Look at verse 23. It's the, the casual approach to the Bible. For if anyone, verse 23, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And for once he has for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. This is the casual approach. You look, and you just kind of see a little bit, but you just forget. Now, the mirrors that were used 2,000 years ago in James' day, not like the mirrors that we have. What they would do is they would take metal, like copper, or if you were wealthy, you had gold, and they would beat it as flat as they could, and they would polish it. And they polish it as best they could, and then you could kind of see your image. It wasn't perfect, not like the mirrors that we got going today. It was kind of like the equivalent of like trying to use the hood of your car as a mirror. You know, kind of see it. If you women are doing your makeup by just kind of looking over the hood of the car, you know, it's not going to work so great, but it didn't work back then. It's the best they could do. And that's what they were doing. But the casual here, they look, 
but they never respond. And so they, they hear the word of God, but they're not going to let it have its intended effect upon their lives. Part of the problem today is that uh, people don't even want to look at the word because it shows them their need for Christ. It shows them what holiness really looks like. It shows them where growth is needed. Uh, George Sweeting, in one of his books, tells of this uh, African princess that lived in the heart of Africa and in her particular village uh, because she was the king's daughter. Uh, she was highly esteemed and told all these things that really weren't true about her but made her feel good about herself. Well, one day, some strangers came in, some explorers, and they actually had a mirror. People were looking at their mirror, and of course the princess wanted to get the confirmation that she was just as gorgeous and wonderful as everybody kept telling her. And she saw the mirror. She saw the truth. Things weren't all as they may have seemed. She hated it, so she took the mirror and smashed it. She didn't want any part of that. Friends, that's what happens when you take God's word and it shows you, for instance, like the need to be in the word or to address any number of sin issues in your life. You're like, I don't want it. Smash. Or for us, close the book. Don't want it. Friends, that's not how God's word was intended. It was intended to do a work in our life. Sometimes that's going to be a painful or a difficult work. And so, friends, the word of God is showing us where growth, what growth looks like, how to move forward in holiness. But it's really, it's like a road map. It's, the word of God isn't like magical. What it is, is it's given to us by God and it is to show us the way. That's literally what the law does. It's a God pointing his finger and saying, this is the way to go. I'm the creator, you're the creation, this is life. This is life for me. It's like a, it's like a map. Um, you got a map on your phone. You got your Garmin. It's got a map on there. Maybe you got a paper map. They, they still work, okay? But and you can see, like, okay, if you want to get to New York, you can see how to get there, and it shows you the road. It shows you the way to get to New York. But the map, even if your phone map is talking to you and telling you where to take left turns and all, it can't actually get you to the destination. It just keeps guiding you on the course, right? That's what God's word does. It guides us. It tells us. It speaks with clarity. But you've got to respond. You've got to get in your car. You have to take the lecture. You've got to get on the highway, and that's how it works. But the problem is, is that we're at a place where we really don't care. So, you see, if you don't care about what you really look like or what your spiritual life looks like, you don't look in the mirror, right? Because when you look in the mirror, you're like, ah, no way. I got, I got the olives in my teeth. That's gross. Look at my cheeks. Oh, my shirt. And the mirror shows you that. And you have an opportunity to respond and address the situation. It also, when you look in the mirror, you're like, wow, my hair is awesome. Look at that. It's great, right? And you see that because it, it confirms good things and it kind of shows you, you might want to do this. Or you only shave half your face. It's noticeable. And you respond to what you see. But you've got to respond. Otherwise, you just keep going on with stuff on your face or the things in your teeth. Because you saw it, but you never responded. Friends, that's like a lot of Christians. It's the example that he's giving here. They see, but they don't really care. And they just go on their way. They don't really want to know. And so they just kind of move forward. And notice that's what he says in verse 24. 
excuse me, verse, uh, verse 23. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and for, one, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. He just stays in that state. And frankly, there's a lot of people, that's how they go through life. Not just spiritually, like, I don't know, the Bible, it tells me things and shows me where I really need Christ. I really want to do my own program. It shows me character issues that are foundational that I need to address, but I'm not interested. But you see this in other arenas. Like, for instance, um, there's about, in America, about every year, about 600,000 heart bypass surgeries, okay? And, like, heart surgery, whew, man, that's rough stuff. And, and I, I know, I mean, my, my dad's gone through it, and uh, I remember being in the room and they had all these different patients that, you know, they had recently had their heart surgery. And they're now telling them the changes that they need to implement in their life. And they seem quite teachable as they're hugging their pillows. There's all sorts of pain, you know. It, it's hard to watch them. And they say, listen, you've got to make changes. For instance, you've got to quit smoking now. This drinking excess, it ends now, today. Um, you've got to learn how to exercise. And they write the word, maybe show them pictures of what that looks like. It's not sitting in your chair, and you have to try to find ways of reducing stress in your life. In essence, they give them this message, change or die. That's the message. And people seem pretty receptive, you know, and they might have their spouse or their kids with them, like, you're doing this, right? Like, uh, they're holding onto their pillow, and they're in pain, and they're thinking they're going to do this. I know one hard-headed individual, um, the doctor was having trouble with clarity because this guy wasn't responding. So he just said this, if you want to see your grandkids grow up, you will make these changes. And that actually worked. And he responded. But here's something that's fascinating, if not devastating. Study after study shows that after two years, only 10% of the patients that have gone through the heart bypass actually follow through with what the doctor said for life. Why? Oh, I think I'm better. I don't really need it. And they slip back in the same old pattern. Friends, that's like coming to God's word. And you've been beat up, and it's been pretty tough, and you've had to deal with some serious issues, but you don't really respond to God's word. It's like the warning. This is never the intent. You see it, and you drop it. So if that's the wrong way, what's the correct way? Well, he spells it out. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, look at what God says about his word. Perfect. And I wouldn't come to any other conclusion. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's true. It's perfect. It's the perfect law. And when God uses the word law, it's literally like him pointing the finger, showing you this is the way. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The correct approach is to look intently, to carefully examine, and the word abide literally means to like remain in or to live in. God literally wants us to live in his word, to live it out. We listen to it, we hear it, we heed it, we obey it, we follow through with it. And it's called the law of liberty. It literally gives us the freedom to walk with God. 
we've got to start to give it liberty and freedom get to do whatever you want actually that is a heinous form of bondage you know prior to knowing christ that's how we live right we were driven by the lust of the flesh lusty eyes and the boastful pride of pride of life right and it it made a disaster of many of our lives didn't it some of us are still pretty scarred up over it but when you come to christ and you believe in jesus he takes you from the domain of darkness. He cleanses your evil conscience. He even washes your body with pure water. And he sets you in his way. And you now have the freedom, the liberty to walk with God. And he shows you what that looks like in his word. And so the person that's really serious about walking with God and experiencing the greatness and the freedom of life, they're verse 25. They're looking intently. And what are they doing? They're not becoming a forgetful hearer, but they are a careful, effectual doer. And you will be blessed in what you do. That, by the way, is the vision of our church. It's very simple. It's growing deep and reaching out. The word goes forth. The seed is planted. The mirror is looked at and you see. You see your need for Christ. You see your need for holiness. Issues that you need to address. And so what happens is you're knowing God in his word. You're sinking deeper roots into God the residual effect is that your character, that trunk, is starting to grow. And you're branching out. You see, the life of Christ is showing up in your relationships. It's showing up in your vocation, your work, your ministry, and you are growing. God's word is having its intended, full intended effect upon your life. Or like Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word can do just that. So the question is, is that what you really want? Do you really want maturity, maturity in Christ? It is God's will for your life. How is it possible? Pretty simple. you got to be ready to listen, and you have to be eager to hear. I was reading about this uh, guy who visited his friend in the hospital. His friend had been involved in a car accident, and as is popular with some folk, they, uh, he wasn't prone to wearing a seatbelt very often. Now, on the occasion that this gentleman who was in the hospital had his car accident, he went shooting through the windshield and took about 300 stitches to the face. So he, his friend went and visited him there, and whoa, he saw and heard about that. He himself was prone to not wear a seatbelt very often. And so he's relaying this whole conversation from the hospital visit to a friend, and this guy says, well, didn't you know that you don't wear your seatbelt in your car accident? Bad things like that happen? He goes, oh, no, I, I knew that. But what happened, though, is after I saw my friend, the information became new. This is what God's word is here to do, to teach you. And it's serious. You don't walk with God and follow his word. There's, there's some hard consequences. God does bring judgment to sin. If you're believing in Christ, it's not an eternal judgment, but there can be some pretty painful consequences. Often with my kids, we have this conversation. Hey, there's two ways to learn things in life. The easy way and the hard way. The easy way is, you know, like we tell you, we guide you, we love you, we've got your best interest in mind. Um, you can read about this, but this is the right way to do this. But on the other hand, there's, there's the hard way. The hard way is you disregard it, and you work through and face the consequences of rejection of the truth or the way to go. But the choice is yours. And so that's what God is presenting here. Which will you be? 
The one who just kind of seats yourself, like, yeah, here, no big deal, I'm out of here. Or the one who actually responds. And so, uh, let me just show you how this works. Uh, let's say you're reading through the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, not too long ago, we did a whole marriage conference, just on chapter 3. It's just loaded with great truth about what it looks like to be in Christ and how to live it out. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, it just says this. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And you're like, man, anger. You know, that's kind of like that filthiness that we were talking about in the book of James there. And you're, like, you're thinking about anger. You're like, yeah, man, anger has had a huge role in my life. Man, my, my wife tells me that I've got anger issues. And, and I, I seem to be mad about a lot of things. I'm, I'm mad at work. That, that makes me mad. I'm on the road. Makes me angry. I go to the store. I see that makes me angry. I, I look in the mirror. That makes me mad. I'm just mad. I'm angry all the time. And I see the effect. And so you see that from Colossians 3. And there it is in God's word. You need to set that aside because God wants you to grow to be more like a son. There's a little more peace and love than bitterness and anger. And so you see that what you do is you have God on ready to receive. <sighs> God, I, I'm, you can, I confess my sin before you. And I see this, and I see I've been angry at my kids, my wife, folks at work. And I confess it. I agree that God's keeping hold. I, I experience your forgiveness, but God, I need help. I don't want to stay this way. So would you help me? And he will. You, you ask God to help you, and he will, but you've got to want it bad enough to actually follow through. So for instance, this is just extra, you got an anger issue, or you know someone that does. When you, before you respond and lash out in anger, pray and count to ten, and just ask this, God, how would you want me to respond to this situation? Count to ten, and instead of having another meltdown or turning something into a federal case, you can actually live and respond differently. And God wants to do this work. He uses his word, he uses his spirit, but he's about transformation. And so, friends, that's why when it comes to God's Word, we want to be more like explorers and less like tourists. You know, a tourist, they're just like uh, into like the big highlights, you know, and they're like, there's a picture of a tourist, and what do they do? Right now, we take little selfies, right? Here I am, I'm the statue, I'm the wings, we take a little picture, right? And we run away and get in our cars and we go off to the next high point. That's a tourist. The explorer, on the other hand, they're... They're interested in everything, and they want to kind of get the depths and understanding. They're going to take some time and look and study and research. That's how we want to be with God's Word. We don't want to be like, John 3.16, great verse, and it really is. Selfie, here I am. John 3.16, cool. I'm done with the Bible. I know it. No, that's tourist mentality. Explorer is like, are there any verses before John 3.16 or even after? What do they say? What do they mean? What does this mean in context? You see the difference? You want to be more like an explorer less like a tourist. And what we happens is as we look intently at God's word, God brings transformation. He brings spiritual depth. We get to love Christ more. We see just how good and gracious and awesome he is. We experience grace. We see character development. We look about, see deliverance from sin and how to overcome Satan and how to experience personal growth and guidance and, and what ministry really looks like because it's right here in the word. But you gotta see it, you gotta listen, and you gotta heed it. The choice is yours. You see, we're to bear fruit. That's what God wants to do in our lives. A plant that fails to bear fruit, that's not a punishment visited upon it. What it is is an unhappy departure from what, for what it's intended. The plant that's not producing fruit, something's wrong. 
And a Christian that's not producing fruit, something's not right. And so that's what James is going to do. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he gives you a few examples. What does it look like to receive the Word of God? To not be deluded, but actually put into play. Well, verse 26. It looks like self-control. If anyone thinks of himself as religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Okay? So you kind of get the impression that James is kind of like a, let me shoot really straight with you. I'll be in your face with this. If you think that you're a religious person, but your faith doesn't produce a sense of self-control, spirit control, he doesn't say, well, you need to do a little better. No, he just says, your faith is worthless. Why did he say that? That's pretty stark. Because it's not working the way it's intended. God wants to exercise self-control, and one of the ways that shows up is what comes out of your mouth. Jesus said, a man speaks from that which fills the heart. So if you've got a bunch of just gutter language coming out, vulgarity, swearing, whether you're verbalizing it, put it in your text or your emails, all these innuendos, bad jokes, demoralizing, demeaning, friends, God wants to address that now. How's he doing it? Just like right happening right now. He takes the word. He plants it. He intends for you to bear fruit. In fact, he says, if you don't respond to his word, your faith is worthless because it's not working the way it's intended. Um, he, goes, he gives another one. Um, not only does it bring about self-control, but it brings about a spiritual compassion. Look at verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. distress. God's word, having its rightful work in your life, makes you a far more compassionate person. It literally breaks you out of this self-centered mold where it's all about you, where you actually start caring and being concerned about people. You know, like, you don't want to avoid that situation because that will be, that will require something out of you, like I might have to care. No, you realize, that's exactly why I'm here. I'm an expression of Jesus. You exercise spiritual compassion. And let me give you just one other that James points out. What does it look like when God's word takes root in your life? You hear and respond. Look at the end of verse 27. And you keep oneself unstained by the world. The world and its ideals and its values and, your, and its goals, it may have driven you before Christ, no longer. You have new ideals. Pure in heart. For the honor of God. You want to see Jesus glorified. You want to see him manifested in your life. And the things of this world, they're going to start to grow strangely dim. Why? Because you're focused on Jesus and you're growing in his word. See, what God intends is that for our lives are to play the music of maturity in Christ. It's an ongoing, organic process, very much like the growth of a tree. I read of this one little boy who was just, just in awe of his mother and how well she could play the piano. And she could take like a simple little child and she could just fill it in with all these chords and crescendos and man, just make that music just pop. And he said, Mommy, can I play like that? Because when he gets the piano, you know, he's just kind of pounding on it. And that gets old after about 30 seconds. And he's just like, could I do that? And this mom started thinking about all the lessons and all the practice that went into being able to play beautiful music. You could take a very simple melody and just embellish it and make it full. And yeah, the boy can, but it's going to take time. It's going to take application. 
And God wants maturity in your life. And that's going to take time. It's going to take application. A reliance upon Jesus. But after all, that's what he wants for your life. Maturity comes from living out the word. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing passage of scripture. You spelled it out right here in black and white. Growth and godliness comes from knowing and responding to your word. And Lord, that is our desire, to make it a reality, an ongoing reality. And for someone who's come here today, who's never truly trusted in Christ, and all they know is the impulses of their flesh and the brokenness that comes. They want to be saved. They want to be made whole. They just simply pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. And I trust in Jesus, the light of the world. And I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And he is resurrected. And I trust in his life. And Lord, for all of us, have your way in our lives for your glory. May the word of God always have its critical role in our lives individually and in the life of this church for your glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' name.